Welcome to the Sex, Money and Rage podcast. Then later in life, when we're trying to say push forward in our business or go after what we want, we won't do it because to do things like that requires being aggressive. It requires pushing through resistance. It requires having that kind of fire uh, to get through the, the, the inevitable challenges and difficulties that come. Hey everyone, and welcome to the very, very first episode of Sex, Money and Rage. And I'm super, super excited. My name is Ellie McIntyre and I am your host and I'm really pumped to have you here. So thank you for listening. Thank you for putting this podcast in your earbuds. I know there's so many out there to choose from. So we're going to talk about all things sex, money and rage on this podcast. We're going to interview a whole bunch of different people from all different backgrounds about all different things that are considered taboo in society and find out some really cool life advice and business advice. Today I'm interviewing my brother, John, who is running a company called Rage Heart, which is all about unleashing the beast. And if you don't know what that means, then keep listening. If you're sick of all the self-help band-aids and sick of meditation apps and writing down in your journal every day and gratitude lists and all these kind of band-aids that kind of scratch the surface but don't really do the deep, deep work, then you're going to love today's episode with John. And please go to sexmoneyrage.com to sign up for my free email newsletter where I talk about literally everything to do with sex, money and rage, stuff that will make you cringe and cry with laughter. So go check it out. If you enjoy the podcast, you'll love the emails. So If you want to submit any questions or request a favorite guest to to be interviewed, then sign up for the email newsletter and then just hit reply to the first email you get and I'll respond to all of them. So that goes directly to my inbox. So yeah, if you're looking for something to add a little bit of spice to your life, then go check it out, sexmoneyrage.com. You probably can hear I'm a little bit nasally. It's because I'm just coming off the end of being sick. So it's been a crazy couple of weeks and, you know, nothing like being sick to keep things interesting and and push the podcast launch date back, but that's okay. We're here. And for anyone who doesn't know, I'm actually living in the mountains in Peru and with my brother and we, we love it. It's, it's, honestly amazing. The mountains are right outside our front door and we get to drink plant medicine whenever we like. We live in a really cool expat community and everyone lives within like five minute walk. It's really cool. And there's some cool cafes and yeah, life is awesome here. I highly, highly recommend it. Also, full disclosure, I do have affiliate links in the podcast, which I may earn commissions on, but it helps support the podcast and keep things running smoothly. So that's it from me. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you on the flip side. We are going to start with a bit of a challenging question to kick things off. What did you eat for breakfast this morning? Oh, I got (laughs) to think. It's a long time ago. I think I had a... Five eggs, an avocado, a bunch of salt, maybe a little bit too much salt sometimes, you know, you get a little bit overboard. Yeah, it's hard. But it was pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. It's Sounds good. Wild. Delicious. I do love eggs myself. Did you have any olives? 
No, I think we're out of olives. Oh, we are, didn't we? We had the last we're two at olives. lunch. We had the last two at lunch. <laughs> one olive per plate, one olive each. It was a bit much, I think. A bit few too many. Yeah, yeah, a bit too many olives, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, let's jump in. I just wanted to, um, yeah, ask about your copywriting journey and how you got started um, with all of that. If you want to share a bit about that. Where did the copywriting start? Started in the Philippines. Uh, I was there doing a marketing internship, which I landed. So doing the, it doesn't really matter, but working for a couple of beach resorts there, doing their marketing. And while I was there, I was part of the job. Part of the idea was that I would get a free room and food in, in, in exchange for the work I did for the resort. And then while I was there, I was meant to figure out something else that I could do so that I could graduate from this internship and go and travel around the world and work online. Nice. And so that's kind of what happened. It took a while. And I think I got down to my last $127 or something like that in my bank account. And my attitude was like, well, if I completely run out, I'll borrow some money from someone in my family back in Australia and fly home and get a job. But right around the time when I had about a hundred bucks left, I got my first client, which then led to another client and another client. And then that was 10 years ago. Yeah. 2012. And so it was just built from there. Awesome. Moved to Thailand about a, you know, a few months after that, maybe three, six months, ended up in Chiang Mai. Since then I've been living, lived in mostly Thailand, but all over the world in Europe and America, South America, now we're in uh, Peru. So it's really, yeah, it's been, it's had a pretty cool lifestyle for the last 10 years, thanks to copywriting. Mm, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. What was it like living in the Philippines? <clears throat> what was it like? Well, I lived on the beach. I yep. lived in a place called Puerto Galera, which is three hours south of Manila. Manila is a huge city, very dirty. Uh, but Lots you, of people. Yeah, you've been yep. there, right? So yep. we get on get on the bus. You've been to where I was. Oh, I remember the bus trip. Very bumpy. Um, <laughs> like it took ages to leave, didn't it? Or just took ages to get down there? There the can port. be crazy traffic in Manila. I mean, yeah. there was back then. This is 10 years ago. Yeah. But, um, you know, you take a bus for two hours, two and a half hours, and then you'd get on a boat like a, what are they called? A, a really rickety kind of boat, kind of big, but mm. fairly rickety and not the kind of thing you want to be in when there's a big storm going on, which happened at least once. <laughs> oh, and no. I, you know, was trying to watch my laptop and bag. I'm thinking I might have to swim. Oh shit. <laughs> but anyway, so it did, we didn't sink. Uh, but anyway, so you get on the boat, you go across to this island, Mindoro, uh, into a town called, or area called Puerto Galera, which is where I was. So the the beach resort was called uh, Bad Lads. And uh, if you ask the owner back then why he called it Bad Lads, because it's a bit of an unconventional name, he's like, well, you know, I thought about calling it Very Nice and Well Behaved Lads, <laughs> but that just didn't sound like a good idea. Doesn't have the same ring. Doesn't does it? have the same ring. Same so edge. Bad Lads is what he called it. So they had one on the one resort, on the, I think at one place on the, on the bay, there's a bay there with a the boat docks. And then one on the beach, maybe like a five, 10 minute ride away. And it's just the tropical life, you know, lots of coconuts and palm trees. And I mean, the beaches don't really compare to Australia, Yeah, to be honest. But similar to, you know, people being to Thailand, Koh Phangan, Koh Samoy, <clears throat> one of these, just, yeah, just like a tropical island place. You've got lots of beaches, trees, coconuts, I kind of already said all that. Yeah. Lots of bars, cold beer. Yeah. Nice. 
Sounds like an awesome mm-hmm. life. And there are there are other, I guess, entrepreneurs or copywriters living and working in the Philippines or not well not when many. I got there there was because they I guess there was a bunch of people hanging out there. So there was a few people when I turned up in late twenty eleven, there was the guy Dan Andrews from Tropical MBA. That was who I got the job with. Sean, who runs the owns the resort, he was there and then a bunch of other people were there. I, don't, I can't remember why. I think we'll just ha- they were just hanging out. They were they had some business in the Philippines. So we all kind of converged on this resort. I was there for my job. Yeah. My internship, they were just there to drink beer and chase the girls. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> and um that was great. They all stuck around for about a week. So there was lots of partying and talking about business and I was, you know, new to the whole thing, so stars in my eyes kind of thing. But then everyone left. Everyone they went all, all on their separate ways. So I think Dan went back to Bali, a bunch of other guys. They just went back to wherever they lived. And it got kind of lonely pretty quickly, actually, mm. because it was just me there, Sean, the owner of the resort. He spent most of his time in Manila. So it was a great oh, gig, right. but it wasn't like it was a party all the time or there was entrepreneurs there all the time. There wasn't really many people there, many like-minded people there for most of the time that I was there, I think, yeah. Yeah, right. Wow, sounds like a really cool opportunity. Um yeah, just meeting different people and having a chance to work on your business sounds really, really cool. What was it like living in Thailand? Thailand, good old Thailand. Thailand is like the Philippines, but a couple of decades ahead probably in terms of development. So the Philippines feels fairly uh, rural. There's a lot more poverty. You've got a lot of uh, slums and things like that, shanty towns in Manila anyway. So there's mm. still a great place. It's cheaper than Thailand. It's hard. You go to Thailand... And it's a similar kind of vibe. You still got the subtropical kind of thing going on. Beaches, parties, beer, all that stuff. They got beer everywhere, really. <laughs> they uh, really do. <laughs> but uh, but Thailand has more tourists. There's more facilities. There's more restaurants. All the stuff that money and tourism and that kind of stuff brings. Thailand mm. has more of that. It's a bigger shopping, bigger shopping malls, nicer stuff. It's a bit clean. I mean, people don't usually go to Thailand and think about how clean it is. But when I first, I came to Thailand straight from the Philippines and I was like, wow, Bangkok is pretty clean. Mm. It's pretty developed. I was surprised. Yeah. Like even when I came to visit, I don't know when it was six or eight years ago, it was really quite developed even back then. Yeah. More so than even parts of Australia. Like they had these toilets that you could flush and they'd give you, I think they had like seat warmers and it was like all these different fancy buttons on the toilets. They do have some <laughs> of that stuff going on, yeah. Yeah. And they have much better Wi-Fi and internet than Australia. Yes, they do. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That's so cool. And you were in Thailand for a few years and you said you traveled around a bit and then you ended up back in Thailand. And now you're in Peru. What, what's been your favorite place Overall, if you could pick one, I don't know. It depends. I mean, it, like right now, like Peru is where I want to be. Mm. But would I say Peru is my favorite place? It, like Peru is where I want to be right now because of where I'm at in my life and what I want to do. Um, but, you know, 10 years ago, Chiang Mai was Chiang Mai, Thailand, right? was that place. So I don't even think I really, I don't think I think in terms of favorites, there's no one place that I would want to be. Yeah. It depends on what I'm into at the time. And right now, Peru is pretty much the perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah. It is a pretty good place. I highly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a tropical island, but it's pretty good. Well, I mean, the South American continent is technically an island, I suppose. That is true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> 
Mm. Awesome. That sounds awesome. So now you're building a new project, um, Rage Heart. Tell us a bit about that. Well, it's about getting all your anger and stuffing it into your heart so then you can call yourself a rage heart. And do you blow up when that happens? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. If you do it well enough, you can be walking down the street and just spontaneously explode into golden dust. <laughs> just combust. Combust. Well, c- combust in this case. <laughs> combust. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Where can oh, I sign is. up? That's what I'm telling you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right? What an awesome business Very idea. expensive though. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Like well, as long as you pick up all the gold dust. Well, some, well, you can't because you exploded. That's true. Someone has to pick it up. Someone has to pick exactly. it up. Exactly. What were you saying about Richard Branson? <laughs> well, he's he's got his spaceship thing that's going into space. I was going to say it's the same price as that. You know, it's not cheap uh, to explode yourself. Right. But no. <laughs> All of that aside, Rage Heart we digress. is kind of Rage Heart. I mean, the way I've set it up right now, it's not yet launched, but it's clearly about rage. It's something to do with the heart. The, the homepage right now says, discover the little known benefits of rage. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. If I was to like try and talk about what it was similar to, I'd say it's what it's going to teach people is something similar to meditation, but in my experience is infinitely better Mm. uh, for loads of different reasons. But really it's about learning how to feel. Mm -hmm. And the reason we want to do that is because so much of what people are doing in life is going to the different things that they do to feel good. They're only doing that because they don't know how to feel good in and of themselves. Mm. And because of this, people get addicted to shopping and porn and alcohol and cigarettes and they work really hard to prove they make enough money to prove that they're good enough, all this kind of stuff. And we really disconnect and lose touch with who we really are and, and what it is to feel good and happy and joyful and alive just on our own without all this stuff, without all these things, these extra external coping mechanisms. And so Rage Heart is really about that process of, of, of learning to find, um, it sounds a bit cheesy, but find wholeness inside and find what we need inside of us. And not so we can go and live in a cave like a monk, but so we can live the life that we want to live, right? So, and where it differs to meditation, meditation is like, well, take some deep breaths and be peaceful. And I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but that's a lot of what it is, is sitting there, stealing your mind, being yep. really calm. What meditation misses though, is we've got all these different emotions, including rage, that all have a purpose and when we just sit there and detach from them and oh i'm going to take a deep breath and we just stay really calm we actually lose a lot of the juice a lot of the aliveness that is flowing through us at all times it's like meditation can sometimes lead to feeling disconnected or shut down yeah that's what i felt i meditated a lot and and even you know we're all doing stuff right like i remember a few years ago i'd you know i'd be meditating for 20 minutes a day for you know almost 10 years i'd Basically, like, you know, like most of us, just dealing with the, like, standard issues, right? Life was, life was okay. Um, Like, I was living in Thailand at the time. I had a business, things like that. But I wasn't happy, right? Things were going, like, again, okay. But I wasn't fulfilled or satisfied. I didn't feel particularly alive. I didn't realize it too too much at the time. I was probably mildly depressed, not clinically depressed. Um, I'd never been diagnosed, but certainly was not enjoying my life. Like, it wasn't the kind of like I had the some of the external things that I wanted but I wasn't feeling what I wanted to feel and meditation 
maybe will probably help me cope with that better, help me stay a bit calmer with it, but it wasn't really dealing with the root issue. Mm. And, you know, and, and in, in the process of like, I wanted to create a certain type of life. I wanted to do certain things, but there was a lot of procrastination. There was people in my life that I really needed. They really shouldn't have been spending time with uh, people who were basically dangerous, um, who turned out to be quite dangerous. Um, so there was just things going wrong. I was probably using, abusing things like alcohol and cigarettes at the time. Uh, not so much food, but yeah. So like things were okay, but not great and could have been a hell of a lot better. Uh, and I didn't even realize how much better at the time. And then, so yes, yeah, so I'd been meditating I tried a lot of things that people try, right? So I'd been journaling, I'd be uh, reading lots of self-help books, I'd take courses, I'd watch videos, I'd listen to podcasts, I'd make lists of what I'm grateful for. A lot of the standard self-help stuff that people say to do, I'd, I'd done or I was doing it and I wasn't fixing the issue. Mm. And uh, then I stumbled across this whole world of somatics which is what Rage Heart is about, which is a whole other, whole new way, really, a powerful new way and currently a little bit unpopular way to mm. resolve some of these things that most people are dealing with. And instead of going through the mind, we go through the body. Instead of thinking about things, we learn how to feel through things. And there's a lot of stuff out there that, that, that does claim to teach this. Meditation is one of those things. Uh, yoga and certain different spiritual, you know, types of spirituality take people into it. There's different emotional uh, books and courses on emotional processing. But the somatic approach with an understanding of the nervous system, when I discovered that, it was like going from a you know, most of it, you know, everything else I'd tried was like a Honda Civic or a Ford Focus or a Hyundai Elantra. Mm. And then the somatic stuff and the way that uh, the lady I found who was teaching it was like next fucking level. Mm. Like a Ferrari. Like a Ferrari. Like mm. like going from a cheap, shitty, old, run-down, beaten-up car to one of the fastest cars on the planet. It, it was really that clear, that obvious. And two and a half years later, after working with it, and seeing the power of it and even getting involved in the uh, plant medicine world and the world of psychedelics, which right now is on the forefront of mental health, even being quite a bit more involved in that world. I can st even here, I thought these people are, oh, they'd get all this stuff, but even here I can see that this somatic stuff, it's so next level. And for some weird reason, it hasn't gone mainstream yet. So most mm -hmm. people don't know about it. And anyway, all of that, that long ramble is what Rage Art's about is teaching people how to do that, how to work with somatics, how to work with these different issues that they're dealing with by feeling through them instead of thinking about them. Awesome. That sounds amazing. And and so with the somatics, so you mentioned it being you're going through your body, whereas meditation and a lot of traditional CBT, it's all about the mind, which does have a place and is important, of course, um, and helpful. But so when you say go through the body, just for someone who say never heard of somatic experiencing before, um, what, what would that look like? Like, is there an exercise or say, you know, compared to journaling or meditating where you sit down and become really still, what, what's an example of what a somatic experience would be like? Right. Well, I mean, it might help to like, look at like the other things that people do. Like let's take thinking about what we're grateful for sure. or you could look at CBT, which yep. isn't almost similar, right? I don't know too much about CBT, but from what I've seen of it, uh, it's really about changing our thoughts. So we have a negative thought. We stop, we take the negative thought, we change it around. It becomes a positive thought. Gratitude is, you know, we're in a bad mood. We start to think about, well, I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. 
Now, the root of these things, if we think about what's really going on, is it's not really the thought that's the issue. The thought when we're like, oh, I'm not good enough, I feel terrible, I'm no good at this, I can't do this, but whatever. It's not really about the thought. If it was just about the thought, once the thought was gone, we'd be fine again. It's, it's really about the feeling that's underlying the thought. And what people are doing when they change a thought and they think a different thought or they think about what they're grateful for, they're not dealing with that feeling. They're just distracting themselves from it, mm. which is the same thing that alcohol does, that cigarettes do, that porn does, that shopping does, that a lot of people are working doing. Some people stay so busy that they never actually end up dropping into feeling because it's too uncomfortable. Mm. And so as far as what how somatics works, instead of trying to get away from our feelings, instead of trying to distract or bypass what we're feeling because that's not dealing with it. We learn about how do we go into it? Now that's not to say you always want to go into it because that's the other extreme. And this is where meditation can go a bit, uh, become a bit of a disaster. And I mean that when people, because people have been to meditation retreats and then committed suicide afterwards because too much came up too quickly. Hmm. And meditation can teach people to go and okay, find the feeling and then just focus all of your, put all of your focus on it and do it for hours. If you go to like a retreat and this will get the feeling coming up, but that feeling is not just a, it's not just a, a feeling. It's literal energy in the body. And this is where, <laughs> like a sensation. Well, it's, I mean, if you think about what feelings this is, we're going to have to take a detour into some of the science of the nervous system. Yeah. But where do these feelings come from is we were going through life. A lot of it comes from childhood. It can come from much later, but there is a threat right? Something happened. It might've been a parent who yelled at us. It could have been a dog. It could have been a bully or a teacher. Something happened. We didn't feel safe. And the way the nerve, the human nervous system, the mammalian nervous system that all mammals have reacts to threats is it goes into what we call fight or flight. Some people may have heard of this. Fight or flight is really just when there's a threat, we're going to try and get away from that threat to get to safety. And there's one of two options that we usually go to. We either try and get away from it which is the flight response, the flee response. We're fleeing away from the threat or we try to fight the threat off, right? So, you know, think about a mosquito that's buzzing around. We might feel like a, a mild sense of not being safe. We might swat the mosquito. We're killing it. That's the fight response. Or we might, if we're outside, we might go inside. That's the flee response, right? So that's what happens. And then what motivates that? If we think about like getting up and going inside or getting our hand and smacking the mosquito, what drives that? What's really underlying that movement or action is energy. Mm. And that's not a woo-woo thing. We think about like what, like we eat food, right? Because the food has energy and that energy, that energy we then use to move our bodies. So as we swing our arm to smack the mosquito or we get our legs and walk inside, we're spending the energy that we've then consumed. Now what happens, and this is where it gets a bit sort of technical or deep, is what happens when <clears throat> in the case of the mosquito thing, there was a, an impulse to run away or an impulse to attack the mosquito and we did it. But what happens if it's a parent screaming at you? and telling you you're a piece of shit or something like that. And you want to either scream back at them or you want to run away. But the problem is you're five years old and your parent yeah. is responsible for your shelter, your food, your clothing, your everything. So you can't run away from them because they, they're, they're your, you, you need them for your survival. And this isn't a mm -hmm. conscious thing. So you can't run away. You can't also attack them because they're so much bigger than you. Even if you tried, nothing's going to happen. <clears throat> and they may just lock you in your room or they may hit back. Right. So then you have this impulse, this to run away or to attack the fight or flight, which behind that is an energy, right? That's trying to drive your body into an action. But if that doesn't, that action doesn't happen, that energy doesn't just go away. 
it doesn't just disappear it gets stuck in the body mm. and this is just i don't know exactly why it works like this but this is the science that's coming out about the nervous system is that when this survival response right the the response that's designed to keep you safe to help you survive when that begins what it needs to be healthy is it needs to complete so if the impulse was to run away you need to run away at some point whether it's now or 20 years from now that energy mm. needs to be discharged yeah so bringing all that back, I don't even know where we started that little detour. <laughs> That's um, all right. It's a good scene. Well, I suppose this is the example of Sorry. like, like how is this different to like meditation and gratitude, mm. right? So someone has this feeling that they're, they're quite anxious, right? A lot of people are quite anxious these days. Now, in the, in the you, to use the model of the nervous system, anxiety, you could say is, is really just fear or it's a flight activation, right? We think about what is fear? What is that kind of anxiety? What does it want us to do? It wants us to run away. We want to leave. Social anxiety. We want to leave the party, right? Mm. We're anxious at work. We, we don't want to go to work. We're trying to avoid the thing. We're trying to get away from the thing. So one way to look at anxiety is that it's a stored flight response that one some at some point in our life, maybe not just one time, but a hundred different times, maybe constantly throughout our childhood, we wanted to leave, but we weren't able to, right? So then we had this impulse, this energetic, this energy that was building in us to get us to run away, but we didn't. So now the energy's stuck. And now we're 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, and we're living our life, and we've got this anxiety that we're carrying around. And we don't realize, because we don't have the uh, education and the nervous system, we don't realize that this anxiety is actually just a stored flight response. So we just feel it. We don't know to run away. We don't even know how to work with it. The best thing we can do is to think, well, I really don't like this feeling, so I'm going to think about what I'm grateful for. Because mm. as long as I'm thinking about what I'm grateful for, I'm not feeling the anxiety as much. Yeah. I'm going to binge watch Netflix. I'm going to meditate because mm. I could just watch the feeling and sort of detach from it, mm. right? Which all of these things do help and, and they may be necessary because we have lives to live and we've got to make money and we've got to you know, feed families and things like that. So it's not to say that, you sh that we should never resort to things that are helping us cope or just basically st stay afloat. But if we want to deal with the root issue, we have to go to that feeling and learn how to work with a stored survival response until that gets discharged. And this is the, you know, obviously take, take all this with a grain of salt, do your own thinking. But from the perspective of the, the science of the nervous system, this response, survival response needs to be discharged or completed or discharged. And then that constant anxiety or that, those anger problems that some people seem to have starts to reset. Because mm. now the energy, someone's not carrying and holding all of that flight energy or all of that fight energy in their body. Everything can start to come down because the system, the nervous system realizes it's actually safe now. I'm not in my childhood. I'm not where I was when that mm. bad thing happened. I'm here. Mm. And here is actually pretty okay. If you are listening to this and thinking, that's me, I'm detaching, I'm dissociating, I'm watching these endless amounts of Netflix and I'm just miserable and anxious and unhappy and I don't feel safe and I don't know what to do, you're not alone. It's so common and if you don't get this sorted, it's going to keep wreaking havoc on your life, on your relationships, in your business and it's not really going to get better until you go into that root issue and, and work through it as scary and terrifying as that may seem. That's where Rage Heart comes in. Rage Heart gives you the tools to deal with the stuff, to go into the root issue, to equip you to feel the fear and express it and the anger and the rage and to stop dissociating and start feeling. Clear all of that stuff and everything changes. That's Rage Heart for you.
Since discovering the tools inside Rechart, my whole life has transformed completely. I'm doing everything I want to be doing. I live overseas. I run a business and all of these things were just a fantasy to me a couple years ago. And it wasn't until I started to understand where my anxiety was coming from and what was going on in my body on a physiological level that I started to feel truly free. So if this resonates with you, if you want to check it out, go to sexmoneyrage.com slash go to sign up to the free daily rage with rage heart and you'll learn how to unleash this beast within you and deal with your shit but be warned it's hard work and it's not for the faint of heart once again go to sexmoneyrage.com slash go to sign up to the free daily rage with rage heart and i think for a lot of people because i struggled with um, anxiety and panic attacks a lot when i was younger and um you know, you're in situations that you logically know this is safe, like I'm safe and yet I'm freaking the hell out. And that, that was something that you just said was sometimes these things come up and they just need to be discharged and you might get, you know, they might get pushed on when you're 40 or 50 or 30 or however old. And it's not something that's necessarily relative or relevant to what is happening in your life right now, but it might've been from when you were five and your parents were yelling at you and you couldn't, you couldn't run away. And so that energy, as you said, needs to be just discharged. It reminds me of, um, Irene Lyon, who we've both learned a lot from. She talks about, yeah, it, it's like a printer that just needs to finish printing. And if it gets interrupted, runs out of ink or whatever, for, for whatever reason, you know, that's going to come back later in life and you're going to need to finish that printing in some way, shape or form in the body and let that energy out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting, like, cause it can manifest in all kinds of different ways, right? There could be an impulse to run away that wasn't executed on or completed. Mm. So then we have this anxiety that we carry, but it can be almost like a physical thing. Like, yeah, you mentioned Irene, I think, which is one of the women, uh, well, the primary woman we've been learning off. She's awesome. She's amazing. We'll link to her in the show notes. IreneLyon.com. Seth Lyon is her husband.com. He has a, not Seth Lyon, is her husband.com. Seth Lyon. (laughs) But he is her husband. (laughs) That's why they share the same last name. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So they're both great, but. They're awesome. She talks about how, like, if you're, like, if, say, we were, six years old, seven, seven years old, we're at home and we're trying to do our homework. And, uh, every time we're in our bedroom or something like that. And every time we try to do that, our mom or dad comes in and yells at us and they're always over our right hand shoulder. We'll then, we might, because we're scared, we might then constantly turn to look up at them over our right shoulder. And if there's, if this happens a lot and there's a lot of fear or anger, uh, tied to that thing, what can end up happening is the tension gets stuck into the neck, into the shoulder, or it can be like a, like a, maybe that's not the best example. She talks about like, it's like a reflex or something that's built in. Well, she calls it a procedural memory, mm-hmm. right? So when we had an impulse to do something physically, which is like running away, but it can also be to turn our head. And if we weren't able to turn our head, mm. it can actually get very stiff. Mm. And then what will happen is, we need to activate that memory, the emotional memory of it, not just the thought of it, but the emotional memory, and then do the thing that we weren't able to do at the time, right? So, I mean, there's another story that might illustrate it better, which the details are a bit gory, but basically there was a car accident. There was someone in the front seat that someone tried to rescue, and uh, I think there might have been two people, right? So one of them was dead. It was getting, getting pretty heavy. 
<laughs> but uh, one of them was dead. One of them wasn't. And so I think this guy came along and he went to go in there to stick his hand in to uh, rescue the one that was still alive. And he saw the dead one. And so right in that split second, he had this impulse to reach out and to pull away, but he didn't because he wanted to rescue this, um, the, the, the alive one that was still in there. Right. And so as he, um, so because he has that impulse to pull away, but then doesn't, it becomes stu- stuck in his arm. I think he had like frozen shoulder or something like this. Right. Peter Levine was talking about it somewhere. Um, so the idea is that he had this impulse to pull away, but he wasn't able to complete that. So that impulse gets stuck. It's like his arm gets stuck in this mo- mode and he mm. can't move his arm properly until that action gets completed. So the idea is that this can happen in so many, so so many things that people are dealing with in their body. Illnesses and different things. Physical things, emotional Ailments. things, mental things. It's all related. It's all related to this because mm. we talk about the nervous system. So if you think about someone has all this fear from childhood or from some big bad thing that happened or anger, it's usually a whole bunch of different things, really just different energy. Well, we go through a lot of different things Yeah, most life. of us, all of us. Yeah. Um, it's all tied in with the autonomic nervous system and the autonomic nervous system runs basically everything in the body, all the automatic stuff. So our heart, our blood, our skin, our digestion, I don't know about everything, but it runs a lot of things in the body. And so if you have a bunch of, if you're sending a bunch of electricity through a, an electrical network too much, it can kind of fry the network a little bit and then mm. things, functions that need to be happening that should be happening, stop happening. Mm. And so this is what the, the science is coming out around the nervous system is people are carrying this stored survival stress, right? The stress, you can call it that energy, right? So when someone, there's a threat, someone wants to run away, the energy behind that, we could call that stress. We can call that energy uh, in the nervous system. Well, they call it trauma. So trauma is not the event itself. It's not the thing that happened to us. It's that stored stress, Right because it, it's traumatic for the body to hold on to that. Like if you weren't able to say run away or fight, then you might freeze and that's what creates the traumatic response. Exactly. Yeah. You, right. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter what we call it, but there's that energy uh, that's taking up space in the body and messing a whole bunch of stuff up. Mm. And so that's what Ray Chat's about is, is learning how to do that. How, and, and helping people do that in themselves rather than relying on a counselor or a coach. It's giving them the tools to be able to unlock this stuff and work through it themselves, much like say a meditation app would. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I, like I said before, I think meditation apps even good meditation stuff is, is just so inferior to this whole, mm. in my experience, to all this nervous system stuff. Um, totally. Just because they, they just really lack, there's a, there's a real lack of like sophistication or understanding. An example of that is, right, like meditation, just be present, take a deep breath, right? Well, let's say t- take that, take a deep breath. In the nervous system world, so if you're stressed out, take a deep breath. In the nervous system world, that would might actually be bad advice. And the reason why is when we take a deep breath, it's usually going to calm us down. But if we've got a charge coming up, a, a, a stored some of this stored stress that's coming up and about to release itself, if we take a deep breath, right as that's, that's happening, we may actually store that, basically send it back down and to hide in the body, right? So sometimes it is worth taking a deep breath because the right thing to do is to calm the nervous system down. But sometimes we don't want to calm it down. Just because there's stress coming up, there's energy, and this is where the rage comes in with rage heart, just because these energies are trying to move through, this massive um, sensation or activation is moving through, it doesn't mean that we should take a deep breath because the, taking the deep breath can cut it off and stop it from finally releasing and healing. Mm. So there's that. So this is an example of like meditation, the classic like advice, take a deep breath. 
it, it lacks nuance. It's mm. not that you should never take a deep breath, but it lacks, it, this is what I mean by like it lacks a sophisticated understanding. Whereas in the somatic, the nervous system world, there is this, well, here's when taking a deep breath is a good idea, but there's other times when you shouldn't, you don't want to take a deep breath because mm. it's going to get in the way of the process of healing. Mm. Um, it's like a function, like it's overriding the impulse and going, oh, I actually feel like when I'm sitting down going to meditate, I feel like running away or I get anxiety. A lot of people talk about they get anxiety when they go right. sit down to meditate. Um, you know, and so if you're not listening to that impulse and honoring that or following that, then you're going to be overriding the impulse. Exactly. Which is just not going to be good. No. So it's all about like learning when to like, when to go into things and when to come mm. out of things. Totally. Because sometimes it's, it is good to go into things. Sometimes it's good to come out and go watch Netflix. Yes. You know? And it's knowing when to do. And this is something that people yeah. can learn to do for themselves with um, somatic, like with the, the somatic work, with learning about the nervous system is they can learn to navigate these things on their own. Mm, because everyone has different capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And so with talking about overriding your impulse, um, say something comes up, whether it's anger or rage, fear, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, and then we say don't listen to it and we go and do something else to distract ourselves, which sometimes is necessary, or you know, we sit down and meditate and maybe we're disconnecting from that impulse. Um, how, how do you see that affecting people in their personal lives and in their businesses? Well, it depends. I mean, you can look at all the people who are, you know, the, the, uh, how common anxiety is, or even look at depression. A lot of these problems, I think we can trace back to the nervous system. Yeah. And so we, we talked about fight and flight, right? We didn't talk about what happens if people can't execute fight or flight, if they can't ex if they can't run away or they can't attack, what happens is they go into freeze. And the idea behind it, it's almost like a fuse blows. So if you had a house, you had a you know power running through it. If you send too much energy, too much electricity through that house, you'll blow a fuse. Because if the fuse doesn't blow, the house will probably burn down or blow up. So we have a similar thing with our nervous system where if there's a threat and the energy starts ramping up, making us want to run away or fight back more and more and more and more, but we're unable to execute that, what will happen is the nervous system goes into, they call it freeze or shut down, where the whole system the whole system just shuts down mm. it's like the energy's all still there it hasn't gone anywhere but it's frozen um, as far as the experience of the person going through this this can feel like you know it's really 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 stressful and then all of a sudden everything just goes really peaceful it's all calm it might can feel like feeling numb or disconnected they call it disassociated we're disconnected disassociated from our experience and it does this automatically to protect us because it's kind of like if you were, you know, when you were a kid, if you were feeling all this anxiety all the time, it might be very, very difficult to live your life. <clears throat> of course. That doesn't mean it gets rid of it entirely because um, it's still there. This is the idea is as it's, if there's an arousal curve, we to think about the activation is sort of like an arou energetic arousal. It, it's like a bell curve, right? So it keeps going up and up and up and up and up. And then if it hits a certain threshold, the whole thing freezes and it just gets stuck. And the, the person or the animal like I said, it goes completely numb. Um, their subjective experience might be that they're not even they're not even there anymore, or they're feeling really peaceful, or something like that. And then for them to really come out of that, they don't go from there back to healthy. They come out of that zone of freeze, back into the intensity of the emotion that put them mm. into it in the first place. So, and this is you know we talk about like what does this look like in society, or how is it affecting people? I think just look at how many people are. 
um, really, really anxious and doing all kinds of things to deal with it. I think depression uh, in the nervous system, while they talk about, will go back to that. If people are very shut down emotionally because they're just carrying so much stress and so much pain from the past, they're not going to feel alive. They're mm-hmm. going to then, and I was a bit, a bit, probably a bit more like this, where it's like they're going to go and then do, say, dangerous things, whether it's drinking and drugs or racing motorbikes through the mountains in Thailand <laughs> at speeds that uh, are really not very appropriate or reasonable. Yeah. But very fun. Mm. So I think I did that because it made me feel alive. I needed a certain Mm. intensity to break through my own shutdown to actually start to feel alive. And, and you'd see this, this is happening all over the world. People have their own ways that they do it. Some people do it through work. Yeah. And so it's everywhere. And this is like after going through this with, uh, with like doing my own work with this and then exploring uh, the world of psychedelics and plant medicine too, which this is, they're working on similar levels. I mean, everything's changed. I don't need the same kinds of things to to feel alive. I mean, it's a, mm. a lot of the time it's enough just to be alive. Mm. And that's what happens when the more I start to feel, the more I have opened up and come out of that shutdown, the more life is just satisfying and fulfilling just in and of itself. Mm. I don't need anything in particular to make it fulfilling. Just to be alive is enough. Mm. Um, and so I, I mean, I think, you know, to really like look at how it's affecting you, I think so many problems can be traced back to this. There's one thing is stored survival stress. That's not getting discharged. I see it in, we've seen it in our family. We've seen it in friends. We see it around the world. The reason people are, you know, I think the reason people are, you know, obsessed with achievement and consuming things and getting a really nice car and a huge house, like all the stuff that our culture, like social media, this obsession with our image, our personal brand, how insecure so many people are. Like, I think all of this goes back to people don't, people have a lot of the stored survival stress and they're just looking for distractions from it. Mm. It's something we've talked about a lot before is it, it, it comes back to almost being a safety issue where, you know, why do we seek approval from other people? Because we don't feel safe in ourselves. If we truly felt safe in ourselves on a nervous system level, then would we feel the need to go shopping, you know, compulsively? Would we care what people think in such a large way, you know, and, and I don't think we would, you know, because that's what we've both felt moving to Peru, doing our own work, is this new level of safety where things don't affect us the way they used to. I mean, and even just what you said about um, like going, like disconnecting and feeling numb or peaceful, I think that's that's a big part of what antidepressants do is they, they, they give you a way to disconnect from whatever you're feeling. But as you said, it's still under the surface, it's still waiting there. And as soon as you come off the antidepressant, or maybe even before because they do lose effect over time but as soon as you come start coming off the antidepressants everything that's under the surface starts coming up again and you have to deal with it and that was my experience because I was on antidepressants for a couple of years for the anxiety and you know it was great while I was on it um you know in a lot of ways it meant I could function and get my life back on track but everything that I was freaking out about before I went on, it was still all there. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is that by, you know, going and doing meditation or taking antidepressants or whatever, like they're, they're these short term things, but when they're used in the long term, you know, they're not really solving that root issue, like what you were saying. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we've seen, yeah, in society and in people. And, and I think it's limiting a lot of people even running businesses because if you're not if you don't have that healthy aggression or healthy you know levels of fear and if you're not regulated um then 
you know, you're going to have a very unpredictable business and you're going to find it hard to, you know, get clients to pay on time. You know, we know people who run businesses who, who can't do that. And it seems like such a simple thing, like just getting your clients to pay on time. And yet for a lot of people, it's a really difficult thing. You know, do you think that, that that is largely somatic when people struggle to say pay staff or pay, you know, bills or to you know bring in new business. Is that something that you think is tied to somatics and dysregulation as well? Well, to sound like a bit of a hippie, I think everything is kind of connected. So, mm. you know, we've been getting into, well, I've been getting into this guy, Andrew, Huber, Andrew Huberman, Huberman. Oh, this is the biohacking guy. He's a neuroscientist. I don't know if he'd call himself a biohacker, but sorry, neuroscientist. I guess that's yeah, <laughs> the right word. He's cool. I don't know what I don't. You know, you call it anything you want, but really, he talks about like dopamine and motivation and drive and things like that. Now it's interesting. Like going through that is one lens, one way to look at these kinds of issues that we're talking about here. If someone's not motivated, well, obviously they've got a dopamine issue, maybe because they play too many video games. And maybe we can work on that by, you know, giving, getting them into a good routine, waking up early, eating the right foods, blah, blah, blah. So that's one way to work on, on, on the issue just without getting into the trauma or the, or the, the survival stress, the somatic stuff that we're talking about. Then you've got the nervous system piece, which is what we're talking about here, which is, you know, they talk about with aggression, right? So we talk about a fight response. If someone could be a parent, friend, bully, whatever, does something, we feel unsafe, we want to fight back, but we don't, we have this aggressive or angry impulse, but it doesn't get discharged because maybe we don't feel safe to express anger. We're not comfortable with our anger. We can then hold on to our anger. And then later in life, when we're trying to say push forward in our business or go after what we want, we won't do it hmm. because to do, to do things like that requires being aggressive. It requires pushing through resistance. It requires having that kind of fire uh, to get through the, the, the inevitable challenges and difficulties that come. So we could look at like someone procrastinating and not getting things done or not invoicing clients as a dopamine issue, or you could look at it as a fight issue. I mean, I think the issue, they're just different ways of looking at the same issue. I reckon, sure. I reckon it'd be really, it'd be really interesting to see if someone's, you know, been through a lot of, we could say traumatic stuff in their life and they've, they've suppressed a lot of their anger, how that would affect the dopamine. Is it, is it the low mm. dopamine or the dysfunctional dopamine levels to use that biohacking neuroscience angle? Is that a, an effect of, or a result or a consequence of people going through hard things and holding on to the anger? Like, I don't mm. know which causes, like there's sort of a correlation causation issue Sure. Um, but I think we can work on both. So you can like, you can do Definitely. these different things. Like as much as we're talking about the somatic stuff, I mean, we both, we both exercise. We're quite active. We, uh, we, we eat, eat really very well, healthy. We try have and a, sleep. We, we've got a really good routine with our sleep at the moment. So like, just because we're talking about like working with the nervous system, all these other bits and pieces. I mean, these are, they're all so important. They're all so important. Good Definitely. relationships, community, friends, uh, yeah. All those kinds Even of things. Even being in nature, like if you're living in a, you know, 50 story unit block with no balcony and fluorescent lighting, like that's bound to have an impact on Absolutely. how you feel, how yeah. you live your life. Yeah. So, but it's all, I, I do think a lot of stuff in my experience, so much comes back to the nervous system. Because yes. a lot of times why we're not going, getting a better apartment or we're not invoicing those clients, or we're not setting boundaries or we're not doing, or we're not avoiding leaving, pe leaving places and people mm. who aren't good for us is because we've suppressed unconsciously, right? It's sort of just what the body does. It kept us safe when we were kids or whenever something happened. Mm. Uh, it kept us alive at least, if not perfectly safe. And now we've just got to teach the nervous system that it's not there anymore. Mm. Um, and that 
it can take time. Like I think you were saying, Irene said that it can take, you know, five to seven years to clear some of this stuff. I mean, it's almost like, you know, you go through all this stuff as a kid and then you spend your twenties and thirties and the rest of your life just sort of untangling it and processing it and, you know, working through it because you don't have those tools and the capacity to do it when you are a kid, unfortunately. Pretty much. Yeah. And it's funny, like where, like I'm 32, you're 20. Yeah, 28. I always forget. It's like 29. I know. Every year I'm like, mm. 28, yeah. <laughs> what, how old? <laughs> yeah, how old are you? Yeah. How old am I? When was I born? <laughs> but we're quite young and it's interesting, like, like as I've gotten into all this stuff, you know, I'd be talking to my friends about it because I'm so pumped up about it. I'm so passionate about it. Mm. I'd be talking to other people about it and they just wouldn't have the same kind of interest. It's like, why don't you just, just live your life, man? Like, don't, like, nothing's wrong with you. Just just go and do whatever it is you want to do. And, and so people sort of kind of, like they kind of look at this stuff or hear this stuff and like oh, I don't really need that I'm not really interested I'm, I'm not I don't have any of that like we know someone who um like I mentioned trauma trauma being the energy you say to most people like do you have any trauma they'll say no mm. but the chances are I'd say 99% of people probably more most everyone has some has level some of stored survival stress which is all the word trauma in the nervous system what applies to it's not about the event so it could be a very trivial event compared with some things people go through but if it caused uh, uh, like a survival response that wasn't discharged, then it becomes traumatic. Yeah. Uh, it's like what Irene says. We keep going back to Irene. <laughs> We're huge fans. <laughs> um, but she, oh, I guess too, like uh, a lot of people, when they hear the word trauma, they think, you know, vi- vi- uh, veteran, war veteran, or they think car accident victim or sexual abuse, these really big traumas or, or events, which are traumatic, absolutely. But there's a lot that, is traumatic in the like in the lower end of the scale. So Irene says something about, you know, you have little T's, little traumas and big traumas. And if you have a, enough little traumas that, you know, happen over the course of your life, if you're not dealing with them, they compress, they build up. And so someone who was neglected by their parents or had, you know, parents who were addicts or, you know, maybe had a pretty average life, you know, they had everything they needed, they're sheltered, food, clothing, all that, but they didn't get love and attention or their parents worked, you know, they were workaholics. And so they would say, oh, I wasn't traumatized, but that could still have a very traumatic impact on a person. That's what you're saying, hey? Yeah. Well, where was going, kind of going that I lost my train of thought. But yeah, absolutely. A bunch of little stuff builds up. It's just like a tank. We only have so much space or capacity in the nervous system. It doesn't go on forever. Hmm. And eventually, and this is why I think you see people like they're fine up until they're 30, 30. Well, we know someone we know different people who Lots like at certain people. stages, like something pushes them over the edge and all of a sudden they have a chronic health problem. Yes. So that happens. But where I was going with that, uh, that other thing about we go through this, you know, lot with I got friends who would sort of scoff at this kind of stuff. It's been really interesting watching it, like watching it over time. Cause I've seen people who, when the, when people are young, they think the past, you just let it go. You forget about it. I don't have to deal with it. I don't just don't analyze it. Don't think about it. It's all good. And it won't bother me. Mm. And then it's like the older people get, the more they start to realize that the part, unless they actually turn and focus on it specifically and start to work through it, whether it's with a therapist or doing somatic stuff like in Rage Heart or something else, until they do that, the past is going to follow them around Mm. and it's going to keep biting them in the ass until they go back and start working through some of this stuff. So while there have been, I've seen a lot of people scoff at me for being so into this, I'm seeing over time people are going to get more and more interested because they realize, they gradually come to realize Mm. just how important it is. 
Yeah, it's like you either deal with it head on and front front facing or you deal with it throughout your whole life unconsciously. And I mean, I know what I would prefer to do. I definitely prefer head on. But for a lot of people, it's like it's under the surface, but it's still there. It's still dictating your decisions. It's still dictating the choices you make, the jobs. You know, you mentioned staying in an apartment or somewhere that you're not fulfilled or not happy. You know, that is the sign that it, it is dictating your life. You know, well, we talk about we had someone I would talk about different dreams we've had or people we know in our life who they're not doing what they want to do with their life. They're in a marriage that they don't want to be in. They've got a job they don't really want to do. Mm. And it always creates stress. They're in families that they don't want to be a part of, their friendships, their all of this stuff. All this stuff builds up, builds up, builds up. And if they don't deal with it directly by learning how to work with it, say, with like by learning about the nervous system and the somatic stuff, it'll come out but just not in very healthy ways. They'll snap at the people that they love. They'll, we know people, they'll blow up at them. They'll swear at them. They might get physically or sexually violent. Like there's all kinds of things that happen. This energy will find a way out one way or another, but if it's not a healthy way, it comes out in some very, very unhealthy ways. And that, and after that doesn't mean that the person is now healed. It just keeps going until it gets resolved in a healthy way. It will keep looping and they will keep acting out like that. And this, this is how people keep dealing. And they keep creating situations for themselves that they're not really happy with because they're not going back to the root issue and it's all to avoid feeling their feelings Mm. yeah it's almost like you know you you, if you were a balloon and you keep holding this air in but the air keeps getting blown into the balloon it's eventually going to pop and like you said you're going to blow up at people that you love and care about you're going to you know do something you know blow up at a colleague or you know and it's and it can often be irreparable um i mean you know, and, and it's a lot harder to come back from something like that than it is to just like start chipping away at the past day by day. It's like, you don't have to do it all at once. No, you know, you can't, you physically can't do it all at once. Your system needs to build capacity over time, but it's definitely much more manageable when you take that initiative and, and, and start working on it. And I think it's really interesting what you said about people, you know, scoffing initially. And then, I mean, I even know some of your friends who scoffed and now they're, they're like, Oh, tell me a bit more about this, you know? And, yeah. and I definitely think that's just going to become more and more common where people are like, Oh, uh, like what I'm doing is not working. You know, um, even, you know, someone we know was saying they've been meditating heaps, but they feel really disconnected, you know? So people are, you know, growing in awareness and, and the old tools are not working the same way. And that's why people are turning to plant medicines and different things. And somatics is, I think, going to be a huge part of the future, which is really exciting. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this somatic stuff is as big as meditation is and it might take a few decades, Mm. but it's just better. And it seems like in society, generally uh, over a long enough time period, the best stuff does seem to rise to the top. And this somatic stuff, this nervous system stuff, isn't a little bit better than all the other stuff. It's way better. Mm. So it's only a matter of time. So you might as well start now. Me as well. Get on the bandwagon before everyone else does. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, we're almost on time for today. Um, Was there anything else you wanted to add before we finished or you covered everything? Oh, I don't know. What can I think of? Any final last words of... Wisdom. Well, well, <laughs> or you jokes. Call it, well, you call it wisdom <laughs> if you want. Um, the main thing is, I mean, with a lot of this stuff, there's no rush with it too. As much Absolutely. as it's like get into it, 
a big part of the process is learning to go at your own pace. Totally. And we all have to go at a different pace because we all have different stuff we're dealing with. And I mean, just as an example of how powerful this is, I just going through some of the theory, even listening to this podcast may have actually been triggering, quite triggering for some people. And you may feel distracted, really distracted right now, checking your phone, going onto Facebook. You maybe feel really, really tired or even some of that shutdown coming on, or you could even feel anxious or activated. And if that is the case, that's very, if that is the case, it's very, very normal after going through, even just listening to theory like this, it has, it's, it still blows me away. Two and a half years after getting into this, I cannot believe just, just how listening to something about this can affect me so much. So Mm -hmm. if you're feeling any of that stuff, now is a good time to go to what they call a resource, which can be, a cup of tea, a walk outside. It can be a glass of wine or something maybe less healthy. But if you can, it's always good to go to something something healthy that's good for you. A hug from a friend, take a nap, eat something Listen good. Listen to your favorite band. Listen to your Some favorite music. band. Something. And the whole idea is right now, if we're feeling activated, to learn how to soothe the system, right? To know how we've just gone into a bunch of stuff. Now it's time to come out of it, mm. right? And then... Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's a really, really good point. Totally. I remember when I first started listening to Irene's videos, I'd have to just pause 15 minutes in because it was just so overwhelming and I'd be falling asleep. And beforehand, I was wide awake. So definitely cannot overstate how much this stuff can really stir up. Um, the nervous system, which is good, but yes, in bite-sized pieces is a much better way to do it. Mm. So awesome, John. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. If people want to find out more about RageHeart, where can they find you? Best place to go is rageheart.co, not .com, .co.co. So that's rageheart, like Braveheart, but rageheart.co. Awesome. And you've got an email, daily email coming out that they can receive if they Yeah, the best place to start is if you go to rageheart.co, I send out a daily email rage, my daily rage, where I uh, share different tips and stories and and ways to, to learn more about somatics and the nervous system and rage and how to integrate this new approach of uh, healing and growth into your life awesome awesome well thank you again john and um guys that's a wrap for today thanks for listening thanks ellie thank you so much for listening Go to sexmoneyrage.com to sign up for the free email newsletter of all things sex, money, and rage. And hit the subscribe button so that you always get notified when a new episode goes live. Have an amazing week and I'll catch you next time.